What can we take away from the Summer League? Are players now that much more athletic than in the 70s? How deep is the Daryl Morey effect on the league? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to have our three-man Wednesday rotation on. As always, we have Adam Stanko with us and Dave Dufour. Um, and guys, uh, we have an interesting um, you know, week off. We didn't go last week, and uh, I don't know. Dave, you are now back from purgatory. Is that safe to say? Uh, yeah, and I'm sick. It's, it's a, it's, this is my flu game. Let's see ah. if I can bring it. All right, we'll have to carry you off to the bench. Now, again, um, it's sacrilegious, but apparently history has been rewritten about that, and people want to insist that it was not a flu game. And no, it was a it was a Vegas game. I don't, I do not believe you. I, I am not convinced by the evidence that was shown in that one video. Uh, no, I think it was a Vegas game, and this is know. my Vegas game. I but but for me, I wasn't out gambling and drinking. I literally just got sick. I, I don't. I don't know when or where. Uh, I'm gonna. I don't know. I'm gonna blame you, Nick. It's your fault. I I got out of there. <laughs> five days is is the max, and then you get out. Of there, so <laughs> that's what I learned. Uh, Adam, have you ever been to Vegas for summer league? Uh, yes, I've been. Uh, but it's been a while. Dwight Howard and Jameer Nelson were playing for the Magic the last time that I was watching some Vegas summer league, and uh, I did not end up sick and have to uh, carry a podcast the next day. Okay, you I know, don't want to like, call you out, but. That doesn't seem like they, the summer league was in Vegas back then, uh, was it? Yep. Yeah, it was. It was. Vegas so. started 14 years ago. Cause I, all right, because I remember, I guess you're right, I, I remember seeing um, Eddie Curry and Tyson Chandler in summer league in, in the Long Beach at the Pyramid. So that's how far back we go. I go. There you go. Um, and that's when I first accosted Tex Winter to talk about the triangle offense. That was great, too. So, well, enough about us. And uh, let's break into some Summer League stuff because obviously there's a lot of recaps going on and we want to talk a little bit about what's going on. And so um, I, I think it's safe to say that if you go back and listen to what we were talking about from the, you know, the rookies to watch, we are pretty close to being spot on. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that absolutely we were. I mean, you go down the list. We knew about the top guys, and I think everyone could call their shots on that. But I think when you start to look at the other guys a little further down, Dennis Smith Jr., uh, John Collins, uh, Donovan Mitchell, I, I just think over and over again, I, I think we have to take some credit here that, uh, you know, I think we were right. And, you know, also on the guys that struggled in summer league. And, and what we said during the draft broadcast wasn't necessarily that, you know, all these guys are going to be superstars, but we knew who was going to be impactful early. And we also knew who would struggle early. And, you, you know, you look at Zach Collins on the Trailblazers, and I think he's a perfect example as a guy that right now is going to be tough for them to sort of get into the rotation, even though they're probably going to have to just because. It, and it was a weird move that they made. So I, all in all, I, I think we should we should give ourselves some some credit for that. And it was it was cool to see these guys show out. Absolutely. I mean, Dennis, Dennis Smith Jr. looks like everything we talked about on the draft show. I think he's going to be the rookie of the year. He is just an overwhelming athlete. He's elite at getting to the free throw line. I mean, can, can you think of another rookie that was this good at getting to the free throw line? Yeah, I mean, it, it's incredible. So we know he's going to score. He, he made his teammates better by attracting the defense and getting rid of the ball when it was coming. And what I really liked about him was that he didn't just stand still. When he got rid of the ball, he was actually looking to get to the hoop, including – 
one uh, miss dunk, which would have been the greatest dunk in the history of basketball. <laughs> I mean, it. I mean, the ceiling would have imploded on itself <laughs> if he had gotten that dunk to connect. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still really high on Dennis Smith. Lonzo, of course, had a an amazing summer league, and uh, I think uh, the Lakers' young guys in general did. Uh, Kuzma really, really showed me a lot. So uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a good summer league for for a bunch of guys, and then for the for the guys that it that didn't really have a good summer league, who cares? You know, like to me, the summer league is where you get to see guys. If they do good stuff, that's great. But if they don't, it's not the end of the world. Right. You know, it's funny because uh, Dennis Smith, to me, what I, I thought I liked the most was that he wasn't just gunning and trying to shoot every single time and trying to score. And Because I thought that might happen where he's just going to be like, I'm the man, I'm coming in here, I'm going to show everybody. He actually was making the right plays and trying to kick the ball out when he could and, and get the offense going. So it's very encouraging because without question, Carlisle is going to get him into those situations where he will do well and they'll, they'll design their offense around that for him. So uh, I'm excited about that. I was in the, in the gym for John Collins. Um, wait, John Collins? Yes, the other Collins. Uh, I, when he dunked over two guys, and that was uh, probably the dunk of the, of the of a summer league, I imagine. And I was able to catch a, a, a quick video of that on the the replay screen on Twitter. So uh, that guy was a real big surprise to me athletically, um, and I, I, I suspect that he's going to end up, you know, making a mark in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw John Collins work, work out um, a couple times, actually, before the draft, and he blew me away. You know, I, he's one of these guys that sometimes, you know, guys in college don't get to show their full arsenal, and they also don't get to work on their individual skill sets as much as they do once they once they reach the league and they're working with, you know, specific trainers that can get their individual skill sets built up. And and he took one three-pointer in college, but he, he could shoot the ball actually pretty well from the outside. He can be a pick and pop guy and just his explosiveness, obviously, you know, you saw some of that in college, but he's a special athlete. He can also handle the ball some and, and attack the rim. There's questions about his defense and, and he's still working through that. But in terms of the offensive player, he's going to be in the NBA. I'm super excited about, about John Collins. And I think, I think that the big thing to look at, and I think it's important to have, have you guys discussing this is the idea of which of these guys are going to take that game that we saw in college and then in the summer league translate to the NBA level. And I think you're right, Nick. It's, it's one thing to say, okay, this guy had a great summer league, but does it still translate out to, you know, to Dave's point? Like if they didn't play well, that's not a, that's not an indictment necessarily on the guys that don't play well. And the guys that do, I mean, we saw Marco Bellinelli look like he was going to be a hall of famer. And then, you know, we saw that he was, he's been a solid player in the NBA. So out of these guys, I'm curious for the both of you, who do you think right away is going to make a mark day one in, in the league this year? I think Dennis Smith, for sure. Uh, he's in a perfect situation. He has two really good pick and roll partners for him, you know, for him, right? The the incredible disparity in athleticism between Dennis Smith and Dirk Nowitzki on the pick and roll is going <laughs> to cause all kinds of problems. And then you got Nerlens Noel, uh, assuming he, you know, they're bringing him back on this uh, restricted free agent contract um, as your rim runner. And uh, yeah, I just don't know who you guard in that scenario. You know, I, I could see them running a little bit of a Spain pick and roll on that with Dirk as you know the popper and uh, and Nerlens is the runner. And um, yeah, that feels pretty unstoppable. You could put. Harrison Barnes and uh, and Wesley Matthews in the corners, and I really just think that Dennis Smith is going to have a hell of a season. 
I think the, the context you have to put it in is also who's going to get the most opportunities in the NBA right away. And certainly Dennis Smith will get that. Lonzo Ball will get that and will be, I, I think, uh, he affects the game profoundly without even scoring the ball. Like that's what, He'll be able to do that, I'm, I'm convinced, with his passing. But a guy like Jason Tatum, for instance, looked really good and certainly has a lot of ability, but is probably going to get stuck behind Morris and Brown and um, Hayward and probably not get a lot of minutes. So all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, we can look at that after the end of this next year saying, well, he wasn't as good as we thought, but it's simply because it's in a, a tough situation for him. I feel like I'm missing as a Crowder is also going to be in the position uh, if he stays. So, you know, it's a, uh, it's a kind of a crapshoot depending on, you know, where you're going. Um, and that's, that's what we have to look at when you're figuring out, like, how, you know, how we're going to judge these guys after a year or two. That said, it takes almost no time to judge great home-cooked meals when they're delivered to you from Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient delivery service in the country. Now, I get it. You're too busy to get over to the supermarket with your list and wait in that crazy long line, which is why Blue Apron is such a great service. They deliver high-quality ingredients in the exact quantity you need. Their menus are very flexible based on your individual tastes. I just made shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges. And I got to say, the fresh dill and garlic were a great touch. I even had time to set the table with our colorful placemats. And I got some serious dad points, which allowed me to pick the movie that night. So head over to blueapron.com slash coachnick to receive your first three meals free with free shipping as well. You will love the experience of being the head coach of your kitchen. Preparing your food is like running a practice, and eating the great-tasting meal is like the game. And guess what? You win every time. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Yeah, and I mean, you look, Markel Fultz, I think, is going to get, obviously, ample opportunity, which we knew. The, the question for me, and we talked about it on draft night, De'Aaron Fox, I mean, you know, he's a guy, obviously, shows incredible explosiveness and could be a really special player at the NBA level. Guys can't stay with him. I, and no one in the world can stay with the Aaron Fox, it feels like. I mean, he's that kind of, uh, he has that kind of quickness. He's a blur. The only question really for me for De'Aaron Fox is now, um, you know, what, how quickly are they going to give him the keys to this offense? I mean, obviously, George Hill's there. What's the situation going to be with how much they're giving him the role as the primary ball handler on this team? And the thing is, when you looked at what he did at Kentucky, and even in the summer league, like, He's such an explosive scorer that you can play Fox off the ball a lot. Now, granted, his shot still needs to come along, so somewhat of a liability there. But in terms of getting to the hoop and the, the ability to finish, especially over bigs, like he's got that in space. So to me, De'Aaron Fox is a guy that I'm curious about. If he gets those opportunities, to your point, could really do something special. Dave, thoughts? Uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, the I, I obviously I love the Kings draft. I hate I hate some of their free agent stuff, and for the reason that Adam just brought up, I think it gets in the way of their young guys, especially De'Aaron Fox. And uh, you know, I I don't know if they're even going to start De'Aaron Fox. You know, I think that's a problem. I think he should get the ball from day one, sink or swim. They're not going to be a playoff team. So what the hell was the point in signing George Hill and? Uh, Vince Carter and Zach Randolph. It just, I don't know, kind of dumb. Uh, after that great draft, they went out and ruined it by by signing, you know, 
Vince Carter is probably going to contribute a little bit for somebody this year, but at eight million, that's just way too much. And George Hill is still a good player. I just, I just think it was a bad signing for them. Um, Frank Mason looked pretty good out there at summer league, and now he's pushed into a third guard role, which I think he's overqualified for. And again, this is just, I don't know, this kind of stuff drives me crazy. It's like, you're going to be bad. Just go ahead and be bad with the young guys and at least be fun. It, like the Lakers are doing this, you know, the Lakers are actually doing it right. We're going to throw the young guys out there. We're going to get them reps and yeah, we're probably going to stink, but we'll be fun. And we have, you know, give, give the fans something to be excited about. And if summer league's any indication, they're going to go completely ape shit for Lonzo ball all year. So, uh, Hey, good job. Lakers. Well, you know, the irony of that you're saying that the Lakers are an example of this is that last year they freaking bring in Dang and they bring in Mozgov and get in the way of the young guys that could have developed. And then the year before, when they had the whole Kobe thing, also got in the way uh, of that development. So they're not, like, immune. And then, again, even bringing in Lopez, I know the trade, for whatever reason, works for, like, LeBron sweepstakes next year. But, you know, I, I personally would love to see Zubac thrown out there, get his ass handed it to him, and I bet you within after 40 games, uh, he'll start to figure some things out, and we'll start to see more of his nice games. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a, a, a puzzling thing, especially and with the Kings as well. As well. What I saw from Darren Fox, um, it might not even show up in the box score, but when you really, and this is what I recommend everybody do when you go to a game, especially live, is just watch one guy the whole time. And I did that with Darren Fox for a game or a game and a half. And the guy was, like, denying passes. First of all, I think he's still growing. His, he's so long as it is. And just for some reason, I don't even think he's 20 yet. Uh, or wait, do we already do we confirm this, Dave? Is he 20? Uh, he's not 20 yet. He's not 20. So he, he might end up being, like, 6'5", for all we know. And um, really long, really athletic, really just uh, has great energy out there. So I don't know. I'm convinced that Darren Fox is going uh, to be that guy. But, again, we're going to have to struggle with uh, you know, all the guys they have now in front of him, uh, particularly George Hill. And it's too bad because there were a lot of moments when you saw um, uh, Buddy Heald and Darren Fox kind of hook up for some nice stuff. And I, I want to see a lot more of that in the, on the big stage. The other thing that we picked up on, and, and De'Aaron Fox had it, and you talk about seeing him throughout the course of the game. Donovan Mitchell's another guy who's got it. There's leadership skills that just pop out to you when when you watch these guys play. That you know that stuff that's not quantifiable. It's not going to show up at the combine or in their measurables. But there's a, a certain level of leadership which they have already, which is pretty remarkable for guys at that age. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, and it's fun. And by the way, in the whole summer league thing, it's like people are the word is out. People are like want to go. And now it, the only question I wonder I have on this one is this was a, one of those drafts that was very deep. We've known that for over a year. Is that the reason why everyone was flocking to summer league? I mean, back in the day, you could sit three or four seats across in Thomas and Mac and watch five games in a row with no problem. You couldn't I couldn't get a good seat uh, if you were there late. It was crazy. Is that do you think that's from this year only or is that something that's going to happen going forward? I think it's just going to continue to grow. I mean, they, they set records this week. Uh and normally that championship weekend is dead, but uh, these were basically Lakers home games. And, you know, it's not that far from L.A., and the tickets are cheap, and Vegas is, you know, it's relatively inexpensive to stay in Vegas, uh, or at least it can be. You know, don't stay at the Bellagio, but, you know, you can you can stay in other places and not spend a billion dollars. So uh, I just think it's it's accessible, you know? And, and the environment, someone, uh, oh, Harrison Fagan, uh, he described it as Coachella 
for the NBA. And I think that's like, like a great description of it. it. It really is like an NBA convention, kind of a little bit Burning Man, you know, and, and there's some stuff happening there and it's fun. I mean, where else can you go? And, and, and think about this. These people get very excited about the rookies that they're having that they're going to have on their team. This is their first chance to see them up close and personal. It's not going to cost them, you know, two hundred dollars a ticket to be really close. I mean, for like twenty bucks or whatever, you're you're pretty damn close. And uh, yeah, I just think they've turned that into now an event. Like it's on people's calendar. There, I talked to people this week. They're like, "Oh, we come every year. It's it's our favorite." basketball event and it's got a great atmosphere so i mean yeah i think we're only going to see that trend continue and they may wind up having to move to the t-mobile arena for the for the uh championship games because there were so many people there you know from la to see the lakers i I couldn't believe it i'll say this that i think in terms of the broadcast coverage espn now cares a lot more about summer league and granted it may be because of this rookie class but also if you think about it i mean go back through history i mean it's always rookies that that reignite the league in some form or fashion you know magic and bird you know did it back in the day with their ncaa championship game and i think this class might sort of push the summer league to the next level it's almost like something insiders knew about for a long time but it's in the middle of the summer when uh, other sports really aren't taking place. Nothing else is going on. And it's getting showcased on a nightly basis. And then we've got next year's rookie class, which is going to be maybe not as exciting from the perimeter, but certainly in terms of the class of big guys that are coming in, people are going to be thrilled to see, you know, Aiton and Bamba and Porter and all those kids coming into the league. So I think, once again, two years in a row is going to push this thing to the next level combined with the broadcast coverage. It's a no-brainer. I think this thing's on the up and up. And that's fascinating that you mentioned that because I haven't even taken a look at what's going on for next draft. But in theory, this draft obviously was filled with like a lot of really good guards. And Adam, so is what you're saying now next draft is going to have a lot of really good bigs? Yes. And, uh, you know, versatile bigs, but actual true big guys. I mean, Muhammad Bamba is, you know, going to be a seven footer that comes in the league, just complete athleticism. It's almost the class that, you know, you were talking about earlier, you know, Tyson Chandler, Eddie Curry, that everyone was expecting. (laughs) Pau Gasol was in that draft class. Everyone was expecting all these good bigs to come in. And, you know, Michael Porter is outstanding. I mean, Michael Porter, people have been talking about as just being this elite prospect for so long and now there's talk that he might not be the number one pick in the draft and anytime you have that you're talking about like four or five guys um you know the the point guard um uh colin sexton. Plays, yeah but not just colin sexton i meant uh from overseas uh oh, luca, luca Doncic. so i mean yes next year's class is uh, is loaded as well top heavy Whereas this one went, I think, a little bit deeper than next year's class will be. But this year's class was the year of the point guard. Next year, for sure, the year of the big man. And wow. Marvin Bagley may be reclassifying. So, yeah. Porter's brother as well. Porter's brother as well. So, yeah, a lot of players like that. Wow. Well, it also it will be interesting to see how that how that affects the league going forward in the three or four years. Because obviously, uh, you know, my I've been saying this from that last month is you know in four or five years. Kevin Durant will be a center and not necessarily him, but like that body type, that will be what we have for centers, I feel like. And so no longer are you going to have these power forwards who are, they don't want to, like Paul George will not complain anymore in three years about it, how too physical it is. And I feel like the centers are moving that, that way as well, because even now we already have three or four of them who are going to be the stars of our league going forward, who are all guys who stretch to the three-point line. They have ball handling skills. They have passing skills. Um, which 
actually is interesting, by the way, really quickly. Um, did we talk about this before, Dave, about the, the centers in the 70s? Did I bring this up in the last podcast? No? No. Because I was talking with Curtis Harris, uh, my buddy Curtis, uh, who we, uh, you should follow on Twitter. He's a historian and a basketball historian as well. We were talking at Summer League about, um, and that's the other thing about Summer League, it's so great. You walk around the concourse and you just literally bump into the people you want to talk to. <laughs> so we were talking about the 70s and, and, and centers. And back then, you know, your average center averaged four assists a game, double-digit rebounds, shot free throws really well. They were more skilled than the centers we have today. And I find that fascinating because we've kind of gone away from this whole notion of, oh, it's more skilled, everything's better now. I, have a, I feel like strongly that, that in the 70s, that position was more skilled than it ever had been since. Uh, I might disagree with that. I, I think it's more about opportunity. I mean, assists is completely an opportunity stat. And remember back then, the ball always came into the into the paint or into the high post. And those guys got tons of touches. I think now what we see is centers usually are touching the ball to finish, not so much to to initiate any offense. They're not getting post-ups. And then, you know, when the double or, or whatever comes, they're not having to pass out. So I, I don't know necessarily. That, I mean, let's put it this way. Who is the worst center in the league right now? I mean – or, or just let's let's pick a bad center. Who's someone uh, who's pretty bad? Bad? Yeah. How about uh, Joe oh, I know. Noah? My, my, my buddy, Tariq Black. All right, Tariq Black. If you put him in 1975, he'd be the best player in the league. Oh, my God. Are you kidding oh. me? Because, Tariq no, Black would be going up against Artis Gilmore, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bob Lanier. Uh, come on, Bill Walton. Forget about it. Because he has but he has more skills than those guys. Oh and my God, Terry Black! We just don't. Not? We don't. Absolutely, we just don't see him. You are Remember, insane. Those picked up basketball when they were like, you know, I don't know, twelve or something. Tariq Black's probably been playing since he was born. It doesn't, and I, it like, doesn't again, show. It's about <laughs> these guys have jobs, and that's what they do, right? His job is well. His job is to set screens, and maybe right. and maybe Tariq Black. Dave, is a, you need you need to take some meds. I'm sorry. The strep throat is now <laughs> something's happening. Where Dave's illness is taking over. Okay, let me say something here. All right. Uh, Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight had said before that um, about the players of today's generation. This has been a few years, but I think it still applies. He says, you know, there were great players back then. There's just more great players now, and I think that's true. To say that Tariq Black would be better than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Artis Gilmore. <laughs> Like I, I have to strongly disagree, Dave. I get I get the overall premise, and I can I can maybe make the argument for guys that were on the bench or guys who were getting opportunities in the NBA back then. But for the stars of the league, especially the big men, when it was at the height of you know the big men era, like I, I have to disagree. Some of the things Bill Walton was able to do in terms of his his skill set, and I think he would have adjusted to whatever the league was today. I think he was using the the best. Uh, he was maximizing his talent. And I think the interesting thing about today, even though there's, I think, a lot of solid big men that are guys that are really talented that can do a lot of different things. And, you know, you said Kevin Durant playing, you know, center in the future and all that. I think about this, you know, the Celtics are looking that maybe they need a, a big man to uh, to come in and, and, and really, you know, whether it's work alongside Horford or replace him or something. And the one name that gets thrown out is Anthony Davis, because you think about how many other guys could actually work you know, to take the Celtics to the next level. I, that's where I think the difference is today in terms of the big man. I mean, maybe DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, you start to go beyond that. And I say, like, I, they're not going to get strengthened by by grabbing another big. Listen, all I'm saying is if, if Tariq Black had played in the 70s, he would be the 
all-time leading scorer in NBA history. He would average like 50 <laughs> points a game. I think, all right, so a, a lot of this is because I'm I'm applying 2017 rules to him. Like, he would he would still be lifting weights and training and all that stuff, and these other guys would still be, you know, drinking a six-pack of Coors in the locker room <laughs> banquet, of course, <laughs> in the locker room at halftime. Again, it's these guys that we have today, they train harder, they train longer, you know, there really is no off season. They're healthier. There's all these other things. Well, okay. And again, wait, and, and they also have their job, and that's what they do. And so it, it's. I think I just think as as tough it is as it is to compare teams across eras, it's very difficult to compare players and players' skill. You you just can't do it because if if uh, you know if Kareem was around now, he would be running the pick and roll, and that's it. We probably would never even see the skyhook. Now that's an interesting question, uh, yeah. and I don't I don't know if that's true. We see Paul Gasol shooting sky hooks. We see it pop up every now and then, probably because Kareem did it. But um, I don't know about that. That's an interesting premise, and so that's. But you know, the point I wanted to get to actually from out of all of this though was okay. And by the way, in the seventies, guys were had had off season jobs. They weren't making enough to really to you know make ends meet as much. They were they had other jobs. So Dave I Callen get the cab. So, so here's the thing we have about training, because I got into this argument over two days on Twitter this week about evolution. People wanted to come with a straight face at me and argue that evolution has caused players to be better in the 40 years. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what world people live in. I think that evolution happens over that short of a time span. Evolution doesn't happen over like hundreds of years. If, if so, we wouldn't have a pinky toe anymore and our appendix would stop existing. We just wouldn't have it anymore. So it's like, I, I, I can't fathom that. Do you guys understand at all why I had to deal with this insanity on Twitter the last few days? Uh, evolution oh. of training and the game has definitely happened, but not of human beings. I mean, that's just, that's just ridiculous. Right. I mean, we've got better nutrition. And so, you know, maybe we're healthier and bigger and stronger and all that stuff, but it's not because our bodies have, you know, like you, I, I'm glad you brought up the pinky. I mean, that thing is going away, you know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. 10,000 years from now, that thing is not going right. to be there. So, I, I, by the way, know. I meant the pinky toe, but either way, maybe the pinky too. I don't know. <laughs> they're both vestigial, so they're they're going away. I mean, my wife's a dentist and you know, you'd be shocked by how many people don't have wisdom teeth. Ah, okay. Interesting. There you go. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, taking a strange turn. <laughs> has it? I mean, but I think there's a connection between like this no, whole I argument think... about the past and 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 not. Uh, I mean, there were some serious athletes in, in, back in the seventies. And coach, there's no question. There's no question. You're absolutely right. And I'll I'll say another one. Will Chamberlain, to me, you know, you talk about one of the greatest athletes who ever lived. To think that nowadays. Like he would just be used in, in yeah, pick and roll situations. I, I think the same. I think any 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 argument you use to apply that the players today, it, yes, if you put them, you know, and matched up the teams are playing. I'm granted you, you're also talking about lack of a three point line, so guys didn't have to shoot the three because it, there was no necessity to it. But I think you look at a guy like Will Chamberlain, who they called, you know, one of the best uh, beach volleyball players who ever lived, who was a track superstar. All these things, like. You know, you talk about the pure athlete that he was. He would have come into the league and just dominated. And then if you start to add just, hey, we want you to work on this skill set this offseason, I think absolutely. There's no question. Really quick, uh, just to address something in the Periscope chat, and this is just, to me, this is just such a myth. There's a lot of people that, that like to bring up fundamentals. Like the fundamentals 
in the NBA are bad. No, that's a bad take. The fundamentals right now are better than they've ever been. That That is just unquestionable. The fundamentals are so much better. Guys shoot better. Guys handle the ball better. Guys pass better. Uh, go back and watch a game from the mid-'80s and tell me that those guys are fundamental. No, they're terrible. They're not – I mean, the, if the game isn't better now than it was 20 years ago or 30 years ago, then the game wouldn't be played because it, right now it's entertaining. It's on TV all the time. They just got this huge TV contract. I'm, t- I'm telling you right now, the, the guys who play right now have more skill and better fundamentals than at any other time in the league. And that's just the trend of everything. Guys are always going to get better. They're starting younger, right? They're right. training with skills trainers. They're doing these things. Right. That is, there is no uh, – this, this terrible idea that, well, you know, back in my day, they had fundamentals. No, back in your day, they couldn't play worth a damn. They sucked. They were terrible. Well, and I'm saying true, now but... individual players were good. Come on. I mean, Michael Jordan is still most likely the best player ever. I mean, it's, there's a debate with LeBron. Um, but like Larry Bird was like a 29% three-point shooter. Oh, my God. Are oh. you really going to do this now? Without I'm just any saying. context, you're going to say Larry Bird was a bad three-point shooter because he shot now, 29%? They didn't shoot them. I'm just saying they didn't shoot them, right? Yes, like, okay. So, so that's a lot different than – Listen, every one of those good shooters from back then would easily be a great shooter now and would make so much money and be awesome. That's more of a style thing. So even in the, in the 80s, they had good dribbling. They didn't, they, we weren't as creative in the 80s because we simply never imagined all these things. I, I guarantee you Michael Jordan could do all the kind of dunks that Aaron Gordon was doing. We, oh, they just never thought of them. It has nothing to do with ability or athletic ability or evolution or, any, or training or, or any of those things. That's just more creativity. Okay, but that's at the top end, right? I'm saying that the league overall is so much more skilled. The fundamentals are better. I mean, these people are thinking of 1950s with a two-handed set shot. Is is that's the only thing I can think of? It's like, well, you know, this is what it looked like in black and white in the books that I used to read in school, and it doesn't look like that anymore. And so, rah rah rah, you know, like it's just like bah humbug on the whole thing. It's so, it's. it's yeah. It's funny that this argument's been going on for so long because I don't know if you remember that Scottie Pippen commercial from back in the day in which he was playing against the old timers. And it was basically to Dave's point, like what he was saying about Tariq Black, that all of a sudden Scottie Pippen is just running running rings around all these old timers in, in black and white video. It was great commercial, great concept. But but the same argument applies now, you know, 25 years later. And, and the thing that I would just say is that the, the one big influence, I think, in the league that you didn't even bring up is the idea that now it's a it's an international game. It's worldwide. You know, before, you know, the best players were just in, you know, concentrated in the United States. And now we're talking about players from all over the world being outstanding. And so you're grabbing these outstanding talents all over the world. But I, I still think it goes back to what I said before, and that is. Larry Bird would be great in any era. Kareem would be great in any era. Wilt would be great. MJ, all those guys. But I do agree that when you start to go down second tier, third tier, and also I think the one big difference to me, you brought up the ball handling. Like, honestly, you look at guys playing in the early 70s, like the Knicks teams and stuff, they they weren't using their left hand to dribble a lot of times. And that no, to that's me was crazy. And that's a new – yeah, and, 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 and exactly. I think this myth that and, – and the other one is that guys today don't play defense. Like, guys can serve energy, but if you watch an NBA game and think that they don't play defense, now granted, they're not, maybe that the league doesn't let them be as physical, you know, we don't have the hard fouls and all that, and I think we'd all love to see some of that come back, 
you know, and, and the mindset, too. Like, I think there was a level of toughness for guys. There's guys today in the league that are tough, no doubt. David West, Draymond Green. But I think, like, you go back in history, I mean, you couldn't get on the court if you didn't have a certain level of toughness. So that's, I think you have to look the at game the game is better now. The game right. is better now for that reason. It's not football. It's basketball. Right. And I well, think, you know, no they, we went through that. Okay. <laughs> so I did pull up Larry Bird's stats. And once Larry Bird started shooting more threes, he he shot about 40%. Yeah, yeah. But but my point still stands is that these guys just didn't do those things, you know? Like, they didn't – we don't – like, I don't know that uh, – uh, let's see. Who is someone who would now be a stretch for – I mean, Larry Bird would be a stretch Tony for. Tony coach. Oh, okay, but Tony Kukoc could, could probably play now. Right. You know, oh. let, let me throw so this out there. My medicine, my medicine is, is making me a little delusional. All right, maybe. well, here, let me throw this out there because here's an idea I came up with just recently was, okay, so it, this, is, this actually centers more around like the, the notion of athleticism and athletic ability. And I think that's what really frustrates me because there were a lot of really good athletes. So they, don't, they, didn't, they didn't train year-round, didn't eat the way they do now, all those things, but – we had some serious athletes, so let me put it this way. In 1975, there were 18 NBA teams. So I will argue that the percentage of players that were really great athletes is almost the same then as it is now because we have a lot more athletes in total right now. But I think that in the percentage-wise, it's probably somewhat similar to what we had back then. We still have guys who aren't, like, athletic out there right now playing in the NBA and, and either on the end of the bench or, like, or you know, guys like J.J. Redick is, is having an impact, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, Randy Whitman was J.J. Redick. AJ Redick would score fifty points a game in nineteen seventy five. Well, are you saying line. because they're not going to guard him out the three on the three if he suddenly materialized on the court? No, no, no. I'm just saying that he's he's probably be like a top five athlete in the league in nineteen seventy five. No, Again, it's the training. The training matters. Yeah, like, but it doesn't matter. Look at JJ Redick. He's not a top five athlete in, in the seventies. He's, he's a pretty he's good not. athlete though. But he's not a he's, he's not like a top five athlete or whatever you said in the NBA. I, in the 70s. I don't know. No, I think he would be. I, he's a he's a really good athlete. Uh, I think he's a he's a good athlete in his own way. But I think Dr. you go J back. Was and, playing in the seventies, okay? I mean, you know, Doctor J. Oh yeah, Dr. Johnson, David Dr. Thompson. David Thompson. David I mean, there Thompson. were there I mean, were elite athletes playing playing back in in the seventies. And again, I, I think I think there's sort of a mix of of both. I mean, I'm I'm more on Nick's side, especially because I think Dave. I don't know what kind of Tylenol PM he's on or whatever, but. <laughs> But I think, again, I think you look at what now, I agree with you that there's more NBA teams. But again, when you draw from a larger pool, you're no longer saying, hey, we're taking the best players in the United States. We're now going internationally and grabbing guys, you know, from Russia. We're grabbing guys from the Sudan. Like all of a sudden now you've got the world's pool of players that we're, we're grabbing from. And I, I think that's what makes a difference. I, although I will say this, it'd be pretty cool if we could narrow the NBA down to 20 teams. Can you imagine how good the rosters would look? I mean, the Warriors would probably look about the same, but everyone else, uh, their roster, unreal, I think. It'd be, I, that'd be a pretty fun experiment to do. I'm ready for expansion. <laughs> I think we need two more teams. Hey, I'm always for that, but I just think it'd be fun if we could just have some rosters where everyone was loaded. Yeah, well, I, I, I kind of agree with that, too. Uh, speaking of rosters and teams and expanding, uh, it, we just heard that the Rockets, you know, uh, Les Alexander is going to sell the team, uh, which is kind of interesting to me. And in some way, it seemed kind of out of, out of left field. I don't know if anyone was really prepared for that. So what does this mean, if anything? Uh, it means 
Nick, I'm going to be hitting you up for a, a $2 billion loan so I can try to buy this team. Let's put a group together. Maybe we should do a GoFundMe to try to buy the Rockets. Wait, what did the, what did the Clippers sell for to Balmer? It's like 1.6, I think. This is going to go $2 billion, possibly 2.5. I mean, the Rockets, uh, you know, Houston is a top five market. They've got Harden locked up for years. It's a good team. It's a, you know, it's a potential championship contending team. And they are the most popular team in China, which makes them worth a lot of money. I actually would not be shocked if if an ownership group comes out of China to try to buy the Rockets, and we see this price go north of three billion because oh, right. they just have the money. And and that could be something, uh, you know that that could be something really interesting. And, and as a matter of fact, if I'm the league, I really welcome that. Is this yeah, the Yao Ming I, influence? Why they're still number one in China? It is. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I think it was the Warriors that recently had a valuation of like $2.6 billion. So you think about, you know, with the Chinese influence, to Dave's point, I mean, and understanding the stability within the organization, you know, Daryl Morey always going after high profile players, um, you know, keeping excitement in the building. Plus, as Dave pointed out, the James Harden factor. I think you put that all together. I, I think you could be looking at like a $3 billion sale. And why not sell high? I mean, if you're going to sell the Rockets, I mean, is there a better time in recent memory than than right now? Good point, I suppose. I guess, yes. If you want to be able to sip pina coladas by the pool for the rest of your life, I suppose that's <laughs> a, that, that would be, uh, this is how you do it. Uh, <laughs> certainly. Um, Daryl Morey, is he concerned for his job at all with the new, owner, new ownership? I wouldn't think so. I mean, the guy the guy has done a great job of main. He, he's built, he's gotten superstars while maintaining a winning team, and that's hard to do in the NBA. He just went out and had a really, a really good summer and and brought in a bunch of pieces. Uh, potentially another piece is on its way, and uh, yeah, I think that he's. Yeah, I think he's good to go. I mean, he's been there like ten years now. I think anyone buying the team is looking at him as an asset that's being acquired as well. I'd have to think that that's the case. And he just signed a contract extension, so he's there for, for another, you know, at least four or five years, unless they just want to pay him to go away. And the other thing I'm worried is that, you know, he's been a guy who, when everyone else zigs, he zags, and it's been advantageous to him. You know, he wants to take advantage of the league rules. He's looking at ways in which he can, you know, apply his three-point shooting methods and all that in the NBA. And and what a chance he took last year. I mean, I think it was like this. I, I was down on Daryl Morey the last couple of years. I thought he was going for some big-time players like the Dwight Howard move and all that, and I didn't really understand. And then last year it goes out, I mean, gets Mike D'Antoni, and then they turn around and have James Harden play the point. I mean, it seemed to be the riskiest move. And we think about where the Rockets were last summer. You know, people were so down on the Rockets. And then they had this resurgence. I, I almost wonder if he tinkers too much. And that'd be my question for the new owner, whether they're going to tell Daryl Morey, like, hey, maybe we don't try to get crazy every offseason. But uh, in terms of some of his strategies and his mindset, I, I, I've really been impressed. And I agree that it's, it's, a, it's a huge asset to whoever's acquiring the team.
Sure. And I think the, also the, um, the criticism has been sort of like he's just putting together uh, players without any pay, uh, attention to chemistry or fit. He's just like, we'll, we'll make it fit once we get them all in there. And that's, that's certainly uh, still up for debate. I think that we're, we're going to find out if he gets mellow, uh, if that really is going to work. And uh, it, even if it doesn't, that doesn't happen, we already have CP3. By the way, I, I heard a new phrase, and I really want to be able to steal it, called CP3 seconds or less. Right. That's pretty good. Um, and so we have CP3 and Harden, and that's going to be already an interesting uh, you know, way to make that work. And is that, is that going to be able to get them deeper into the playoffs? So uh, we'll, we'll have to find that out. And, um, you know, I think it's interesting also talking about Daryl Morey is that it sort of feels like all of the the way that teams work and deal with each other now and make these deals uh, is sort of all influenced by what he has done, all those sneaky things that he knows how to do. And so what I think that and what we end up having is like a sort of a glut of, and Adam, you were talking about this, is uh, having a lot more of these one-year contracts or guys coming in and coming out. And um, I'm just kind of curious what, that, what the ramifications of that are. Well, I think the first thing you look at is just sort of what the league looks like right now. And I, I don't think we've ever seen this before. Um, you know, I keep calling it the test drive era of the NBA. I mean, you have there's a reason there's multiple reasons for it. And Dave can go through them as well. But but what's interesting is you look around. It's Chris Paul is one of them. One year deal. Paul George, one year deal remaining. J.J. Redick signs a one year deal. Avery Bradley has one year remaining on his deal. And so these high profile guys switching teams with a lot of money on their contracts that's coming off the books. But yet also, you know, it's sort of like, let's experiment and try it out. I mean, for the team, there's almost no downside. Now, maybe there is because you have to sort of start over next offseason. And that's always a risk if it doesn't work out. But I also think on the plus side, I mean, you know, signing a J.J. Redick to one-year deal, $23 million in the past, having a guy take up that much of your cap just for one year, like, I don't think teams would take that chance. But nowadays, we're seeing that change. And I think... This year will determine whether we're seeing it more in the future. I mean, if all of a sudden Chris Paul stays, which we expect him to stay, if it works out in Houston, he stays and signs a longer contract. Paul George, he's he's said, hey, maybe I'm open to playing with Russell Westbrook in OKC long term. Now, Dave, of course, doesn't doesn't think that's going to happen. But let's just say all of a sudden they find love together and they don't get shipped off to L.A. Like all of a sudden, I think teams may start experimenting with this more. But I think this will be the year we find that out. I think the Paul George situation is is a rarity. You know, you get a, a guy who's a top top 15 player on a one-year deal. Um, that's one side of it. But the other side is that Sam Presti was able to get off of that Oladipo contract. So, you know, he, he picked up a top 15 player for a season as a rental, but he also did a salary dump. I mean, it was a great deal for, for Presti. So even if Paul George leaves, you still got off that salary. You, you created some space, and they were – going to have some cap problems next summer. I mean, they had some this year. Uh, and so, and I'm still not convinced Russ is going to sign his deal. Remember, he's only got one year left yep. this, this coming yeah. season. They're, they're so, not going to have any problem with cap space going into next year, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, and the other, the other point about Paul George is just, you know, what, what would the guy say? You know, um, I've had a lot of people this past week say, well, but Paul George said, you know, he might say, well, of course. Like, what else is he going to say? Like, I, I don't think Paul George is like a, a dick, <laughs> you know, like, well, uh, you know, I'm only here temporarily. I mean, I just don't think that that's who he is. And and so, yeah, of course, it's like magic saying that that they're not going to trade D'Angelo Russell or Brandon Ingram. And, you know, we've seen one of those guys traded. So uh, the, back to the one-year contract thing, um, 
part of that is that you can throw more money at a guy. Like like JJ Redick made twenty three million for one year, or he's going to make twenty three for one. Um, that's a way for Philly to get their foot in the door. Hey, I'm going to throw. I, I, I'm going to offer you twenty three million dollars on a one year contract to come play with us. And if it works out, then you then you negotiate a long term deal for JJ Redick. He makes twenty three million dollars in one year, which might be more than he would make over the course of you know. It, per year at least, over the course of a few years, comes out next summer, he's still able to go sign a longer contract, but he gets one year there where he gets a nice, fat $23 million payment, and uh, you know maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. I mean, I, th- I think they're going to be a playoff team. So for, for teams and players, this is making a little bit more sense, especially guys like Redick, who he's been mostly healthy his, his career, so it's not that much of a risk. And even if he got hurt, hey, he made $23 million. Again, the key here being the $23 million. And so that this is where teams don't want to be saddled with those long-term contracts. KCP at one year, he comes off the books next summer. If they renounce him and they're going to lose, uh, you know, and if they renounce Brooke Lopez, that's $40 million that they have to work with. So it's, it's this sort of forward thinking that we hadn't had, you know, leading up to maybe last summer uh, where – Teams are starting to think, okay, who are my free agents next year? Who's the following year? Do I, who am I clearing space for? And let's be honest with the Lakers, they're clearing space because they want LeBron. Wouldn't it be great if we can have, like, if dating could be that way, where you have, like, you know, I'm going to date you for, like, six months, and then we can see how it goes from there, and then... I've argued that for marriage. I mean, I'm, I'm coming up on my ninth <laughs> anniversary. It's, it's a week from now. But I've argued that marriages should be five... Five-year deals. And, and no, think about this. All right, now this is legit. Five-year deal, right? Because anybody could kind of, if it's terrible after three years, you could just suffer through for two more, and then it just goes away. And that way, because divorce ruins people's lives. And, and so instead of having this, like, this terrible thing, I never had, a, like, a terrible breakup where it ruined my life when I was just dating. But You're if about I to. You're about to. No, my wife is going to she agrees. And so, yeah, so you, you do the five-year deal, and if it works out, then you can re-up, and you could go to a 10 on the second contract, uh, right? I, I mean, I suppose yeah. there's a way to look at that in some sort of positive manner where it's a chance to sort of look back and reassess and then move forward with whatever. But, man, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. It, it kind of sort of defeats the purpose, I think, of marriage, which I brought up as in dating context, but still. Uh, I'm glad that you went there. It uh, certainly is uh, worthy of a topic of a conversation maybe on the, uh, on the culture and politics podcast I'll be launching soon. So um, either way, this, this, by the way, hopefully we're not stuck on a one-year contract for our three-man pod because it's so good that we should continue doing it longer. Um, and, uh, oh, before I leave, everybody, don't forget, I have a great shooting video we just released yesterday. And for the next nine more days, you can get 20% off if you use my code BBALL. So uh, check out the Twitter or YouTube or wherever. It's all links are everywhere on there. It's on Vimeo. And um, anything else you guys want to plug before we go? No. Uh, yeah, I did a Steve Fisher podcast, interview with Steve Fisher uh, for the 40-Year Coach podcast, um, which was really interesting. Talked Fab Five, talked – First time he saw Chris Weber play. First time he saw Kawhi Leonard play. Uh, so a lot of fun stuff with uh, Coach Steve Fisher. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, Coach Fisher was always very nice. I handed him a towel when I was a manager at Wisconsin and taking care of his locker room, and he said thank you. So I'll never forget that. <laughs> um, so at any rate, well, the great stuff, and we will be back again next week, hopefully to do another one of these. And if um, I, I don't know. 
Don't forget, sports fans, that B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, guys? I'm in. I'm, I'm in the line for the doctor. Ha, 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 ha.